0: Good morning, SunWest, on site and online. It's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you again for uh, sharing this experience with us, uh, sharing baptism and the, uh, the whole experience of hearing another person's story who's, uh, who just wanted to share and become part of the community. And again, it's an appeal for him to say, Nathan's saying to all of us, I need your help to walk this long road, this lifelong road to live authentically for Jesus, and I also want to be able to speak into your life as well. What a celebration. So, today we're wrapping up our series Uncomfortable, and it's going to be talking about uncomfortable conversations. Today we'll touch down on the topics of confession and forgiveness. Right off the bat, I have a confession to make. Talking about confession and forgiveness is awkward. And yet, it's an essential part of living in Christian community. Part of being a unified body, rich, diverse, dynamic, filled with many different people and personalities, age ranges, and perspectives, one can only expect to have conflict at some point. And so today's topic will be a bit, again, awkward. It's so essential, though, that we have this conversation together about learning about what it means to live in a unified body of Christ. Anyone here practice confession on a regular basis? Hands up. Anyone? One? One. One of us. Two. Awesome. I'm glad that three of us practice confession on a regular basis. Uh, The point here is, in the West, in North American fashion, we generally do not practice confession. And so we sit in the mainstream in terms of those representations, those averages. I mean, as Canadians, we apologize a lot, right? How many of us apologize when someone steps in front of us in the bank, when we accidentally bump somebody? We're always apologizing, especially on the C train or even on Deerfoot Trail. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, (laughs) as they honk their horns. Well, The reality is, we might apologize a lot, but we don't confess a lot. I mean, we see so many attempts in our culture to practice confession in mainstream life. People have a deep need to tell anyone, someone, their deepest, darkest secrets. Who would you tell your deepest, darkest secrets? It might be something that you've done or you didn't do. It might be something that's happened to you do you have someone with whom you can share those secrets anyone know of or seen the website post secret anyone know of this website couple people well today there are other confession websites and blogs and socials but post secret started out as a blog way back in 2004 The founder, Frank Warren, quit his day job. He was getting tired of working his regular day job. And he printed 3,000 self-addressed postcards asking people to tell them their deepest, darkest secrets that they've never shared with anyone and then mail it back to them. And then what he did was compile those cards, uh, and some of them were just written-out confessions or sharing of secrets. And more often than not, the cards were sent back quite artfully done, as you can see. And some of them were quite funny, and some of them were quite poignant. And then he gathered the cards, and he posted them online, and it went viral. Like, I'm talking, it exploded. And remember, this is back in 2004. Frank Warren has his website He has books that he's published, secrets that he's published, and a live show, which is typically a sellout wherever he has his live show, uh, wherever it is, by the way. And in each show, listen to this, Frank sits down, he reads some of the secrets that have been sent to him, and then he invites others to do the same. He has a mic uh, set up in the auditorium that he's at, and then he invites people to share their secrets from an open mic. Can you believe it? The interesting thing is, the audience who attends, he says, responds magically. And every time they respond, they respond with compassion and with support. And the audience claps, and they embrace, and they allow the secrets to come out without shame. And Frank shares, it's a pleasure to be at those live shows. It's not only a secret space, but it's a sacred space. How interesting that he uses the word sacred, which means something connected to God. Now, telling someone our secrets provides us with a sense of catharsis, a sense of relief, a sense of, I'm not alone in this, and I need release. Friends, Frank Warren is onto something. He's tapped into something that the church has practiced for thousands of years. And yet our Western, our North American self-centered individualism has really worked against this ancient and essential discipline and practice of confession and forgiveness. Theologian teacher and pastor Henry Nowlin says this, confession and forgiveness are the concrete forms in which we sinful people love one another. It's the concrete form in which we as a community of believers, of Jesus followers, are able to love one another. We are sinful, but we are redeemed, friends. We are rescued. And this is one way that we can love one another in a concrete fashion. Richard Foster, who's also a theologian and writer, says this. He says, Confession is the spiritual discipline that allows us to enter into the grace and mercy of God in such a way that we experience forgiveness and healing for the sins and sorrows of the past. Both forgiveness and healing are involved in confession. Forgiveness positions us in our right relationship towards God. Healing frees us from the domination of our present by our past. Can anyone relate to that? Does our past dominate our present? Do past wounds determine how we're going to respond in a certain situation? Are there triggers that make us react a certain way? he goes on it says he says it is the cross of Jesus Christ that makes both the forgiveness and healing a reality it's the cross without the cross the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic and i think that's what post secret is it's a psychologically therapeutic exercise i mean you're writing out and maybe even making a really nice postcard and you're sending your confession to someone who you don't know and yet it's going to be broadcast eventually on a website or published in a book, or shared in a live show. And you're like, ah, done, got that off my chest. But is it really done? Is it really dealt with? Humanity wasn't designed to live like a locked-down fortress such as Fort Knox. Anyone know what Fort Knox is? It's like where they put all the gold bullion in the United States. Underground, under a fortress. Come on, James Bond fans, (laughs) Goldfinger, oh, man. That's why, over these past couple of years, our medical mandates were so hard on society. We're not meant to live like Fort Knox, everything locked up and hidden down below. The mandates were hard on people. It was hard on our society. It was hard on people's mental health because we were forced to isolate at home. We were forced to not go into work, not play with others, invite each other into each other's home. That was hard for us. We were meant for community. Not to be isolated islands secluded from one another. Why have we lost this practice of confession and forgiveness? I want to submit to you that oftentimes I think we want justice, not in God's terms and biblical terms, but on our terms. That's one of the reasons. So the question is, how does God deal with sin? One reason we have lost the practice of confession and forgiveness, I think, is that sometimes we think of God as Zeus, you know, the Greco-Roman conception of God, one of them, the highest in the pantheon, God with a lightning bolt, and he's ready to strike us down if we do something bad, like an evil Santa Claus. I mean, we are products in our culture of Greco-Roman society, Greco-Roman culture, and that can have an effect on our image of God. If we do something bad, we run the risk of being hit by a lightning bolt from an all-seeing, always-angry Zeus. Or perhaps our image of God has been shaped by Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon. And He was a famous pastor uh, way back in the 18th century. And he wrote this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's actually formed meant much of our understanding of who God is here in North America and in Europe. Friends, we need to understand that the Bible does not describe God as an angry tyrant like Zeus. He is not someone who thinks that humanity is a problem meant to be dealt with with a lightning bolt. He knows that sin is the problem. And instead of an angry tyrant, God in Jesus is described as a shepherd. is on a search and rescue mission for his sheep. God is love. Friends, we are indeed sinners, all of us, me included, but we are redeemed. We are rescued sinners, sinners who have been saved and who are in the hands of a loving God, not an angry God. God is indeed just but the overriding image that we ought to have of God is Jesus who is found in the Gospels. Our image of God could have something to do with how we've been formed by our culture, but I think another reason that prevents us from being transparent and authentic and vulnerable enough to show our imperfections is our fear of being rejected. Can we relate to that? I mean, I can. I don't want to expose my darker sides. I don't want you to see what's going on in my brain because you just go, Pastor Dave, that is terrible stuff. Especially when I'm angry, I've lost it. Or I'm in the moment of lustful thinking. The truth is, Scripture describes God as the creator of all things. He is love incarnate. Love, capital L, with flesh and bone wrapped on it. God searches for us the way that people look for a lost $100 bill. He pursues us the way a parent seeks their lost child. He wants us to know him. He loves us. God is the loving shepherd, the gentle healer, the counselor, the everlasting father, prince of peace. He welcomes us all, sinners and saints. Friends, this Jesus is willing and able to forgive. And scripture reminds us that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. As far as the East is from the West, that's how far He has removed our transgressions from us, friends. And trust in Him at all times. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Friends, we have no need to fear. We have no need to fear of being rejected. Love is compassionate and gracious. It's slow to anger. It doesn't make accusations. It doesn't condemn. It doesn't raise up the past. Friends, God is calling us to talk to him, make things right with him. It's not like we're telling him something he isn't aware of or doesn't already know, right? Psalm 139 says that we don't have secrets from God. We might think that we do, but God just wants us to come out and admit that to ourselves, he wants us to own our mistakes and to take responsibility for them. He knows, friends, there are no secrets with him. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? Cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. That means he makes us white as snow before him. And when we confess our sins to God, we remove one of those barriers that keeps us from him. Confession removes the barrier that keeps us from God. So it's important that we are able to talk to God one-on-one and say, Lord, I've messed up, or Lord, this is taking over my life, and I need your help. And it's through our broken, vulnerable, mortal ways of being that the healing power of the eternal God becomes actually visible to us. Friends, we are called each day to present to the Lord the whole of our lives, our joys as well as our sorrows, as well as the things that make us lose it, our successes as well as our failures, and our hopes as well as our fears. We're supposed to present it all to God. We're called to do so with our limited means, our stuttering words and our halting expressions. In this way, we will come to know him in mind and in heart and through unceasing prayer that God's spirit lives within us. But we need to come to him and say, hey, this is my stuff. He's like, I know. Thanks for sharing. I think we're supposed to do that for ourselves, for our own good, so we can really truly be authentic be in touch with who we really are. Not the shiny, pristine stuff that looks great on Sunday morning. But the stuff that has just thrown a dish or it's said something very terrible or it's thought something or it didn't do something that should have. Friends, our many prayers are in fact confessions of our inability to pray. When we, some of us, when we release that expletive, we're just saying, I have no other words and I need help. Lord, would you help me? But these are confessions that enable us to perceive the merciful presence of God. James 5, 6 says this. Friends, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. What an important verse. James says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. That's risky. Friends, when we uh, confess our sins to one another, we remove the barrier that keeps us from one another. In the same way that we confess to God, we remove a barrier that prevents us from truly being with him. And when we confess our sins to one another, we are removing a barrier that prevents us from being perfectly authentic with one another, warts and all. And, uh, you know, some of you put on makeup and you look great, but in God's eyes, and I, I don't mean this in a very bad way, we're like putting lipstick on a pig when we're coming with unconfessed sin. He is not fooled. We might be, but he isn't. So, friends, I just want to implore you in James 5:16 confess your sins to one another if both of these barriers the one between us and god and the one between us and others are to be removed you know both kinds of confessions need to be made both with god but also with others we need to remove those barriers friends and this is the part that's really uncomfortable and awkward and yet it's essential for us to practice these things it requires trust a mutuality, of vulnerability on the parts of all parties. But let me tell you something. When you gather the courage to share, to get that thing off your chest or to take that weight off your shoulders and lay it down, there is an, an amazing relief, a freedom, a sense of peace, and the beginning of something new that would never happen if we kept our mouths shut, if we kept our silence. Fear does that to us, friends. Now, SunWest is a church that believes in the priesthood of all believers. That is to say, if we are followers of Jesus and we confess him as Lord and Savior, we are people who are filled with his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus is the high priest. We know that. He is the one who has made the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is the high priest. His spirit now lives within us. And that's amazing. The king, the high priest, lives within us and is among us, friends. And so we do not need an intermediary. We do not need a priest to whom we need to confess to. Friends, we need to just go to one another and confess our sins. And each one of us, as representatives of Jesus, can be that confessor. We have, through the Holy Spirit, the power to forgive Go to John 20, verse 23. We have the power to forgive sins. If we don't, they're not forgiven. That is an awesome, amazing power that God has given to us as representatives of his kingdom. In my pastoral work, over the years, I've worked with Teen Challenge and with Alcoholics Anonymous back in B.C. for 18 years. I've worked with folk who have had to overcome some serious addiction problems. And they also happen to be some of the most honest and humble people that I know. They know what it means to be authentic. They know what it means to be vulnerable and real. And part of their sobriety program recognizes that in order to be healthy, we need to do a few things. I'm going to give you a couple tips from you from their 12 steps. We're just going to go over two. Number one, we all need to be self-aware. We need to know what's going on in our own lives and admit it. We need to admit first to God and then admit to ourselves. And then, this is the risky part, friends, admit to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. And number two, to continue to take personal inventory. What's going on in my life, in my head, in my heart? And when we are wrong, we need to promptly admit it. I'm someone who likes to keep short accounts. I don't like to have things weighing on me. They just gnaw. Any of you like to procrastinate, leave that gnawing thing just gnawing in the background? It's like that program. And you know, my computer in my office is driving me absolutely crazy. Why? Because I've got eighteen different things on, you know, apps or programs on, and it just slows it right down and it affects its ability to work. My computer is so slow. It's old. Matt, I need a new computer. (laughs) The point is, if we let those things gnaw away at us, and they're undealt with, and they're going to be gnawing away at us, no matter what, and we continue to go on with life, we're going to keep on ignoring that dark corner in our lives. Eventually, it's going to get bigger, just like that dust ball in the corner. It's going to get bigger and bigger until we finally realize it's like pac-man and it's eating us and the people that are most likely going to endure the effects of that eating us are the people we love the most and we're going to break and we're going to snap and we're going to blow and there's going to be a massive crater in the middle of the room friends the challenge is for us to take personal inventory every day every moment of every day and when we are wrong to promptly admit it yes honey i Admit it. <laughs> and I do that often. This it is it, a challenge. My wife can tell you the truth. <laughs> She's had to listen to me sometimes, admit it, after some prodding. <laughs> in other words, keeping secrets only serves to do us harm, friends. Keeping things in the dark does damage. It's like that black mold that we don't take care of. In AA, people know that they need a community to stay sober. They know that it's impossible to do sobriety alone. In fact, when we meet, we say, hi, I'm Bruce, and I'm an alcoholic. And everyone says, hi, Bruce, welcome, and then we share stories. At AA, people don't hide anything. They keep each other accountable. Friends, we need places like that in our lives. We need friends and brothers and sisters in arms that will be there for us when the going gets tough. As I learned to deal with my own childhood trauma, I began self-medicating with porn, with those X-rated pictures. I eventually had to find help. It was affecting my life. It was gnawing. It became the Pac-Man that consumed everything, my thoughts. I realized this is not going to ever go away. It's called an addiction. It's part of me part I am not proud of, and yet it is a part of me that's redeemed. And I know that I need to continue every moment of every day, lay it before my Savior, and not just take that barrier away between me and God, but to keep myself clean, to keep myself safe, to keep myself from doing stupid things and thinking stupid things. I have a community with whom I need to share this with to keep that personal inventory going, to keep that account short, so that Pac-Man turns back into that tiny little speck, and eventually you sweep it up and get rid of it. But that's with me for the rest of my life. And so when I go to AA, I say, hey, friends, I'm not struggling with alcohol. That's not my struggle, but I struggle with porn. I'm Dave. I struggle with pornography. Hey, Dave, welcome. Have a seat. And it is the most relieving the most freeing thing to be able to say, hey, I'm a screw-up, I'm broken, but I'm okay. Because I know someone who has made me perfect in his eyes. Even though we're living in these broken bodies. And so I continue to participate in accountability, confession, with people who have my back. I call them my mighty men. You know, King David had his mighty men. Well, I have my mighty men, and they surround me with prayer. I am able to go with them and say, "Hey, I am struggling here, and I am needing your prayer right now." These are the people who are ready and willing to hear about the rough stuff that I'm maybe dabbling in and shouldn't be, and they they hear about the wrongs that I continue to struggle with, and they are prepared to help me carry that load. But there's a proviso here: they have the permission to ask me, Dave, what are you feeding your eyes? What are you feeding your mind? Dave, are you telling the truth? Do you have people like that in your lives who can say, hey, what are you feeding your life with? Are you telling the truth? Friends, I want to encourage you to find those people with whom you can be vulnerable with, to trust and to be fully unashamed with, outside of your spouse. And you know what? It is awfully awkward. And you're going to take some time to mine and sift through those people because you're presenting your pearls. You're presenting those, those precious things in your lives to another person. And that other person is going to treat them with respect, not stomp on them, not throw them around. But they're going to take them and say, Dave, thank you for sharing that with me. Let's go to God. My mighty men are the ones who take me to the cross your mighty men or your mighty women will take you to the cross and say, let's go to the one who takes good care of these things and deals with it. And so it might be awkward, friends, but it keeps me honest. It keeps me humble. It keeps me from developing a rock-hard heart. I want my heart to be supple, soft, where it can receive all that God has for me. These mighty men don't take the load on themselves. That's not the responsibility. But they remind me that I'm supposed to go to the one who made me and the one who loves me. They are the physical reminder that we are loved as brothers and sisters in Christ. They keep my confidence the same way God keeps it. It doesn't have to be shared outside of our space. Friends, I don't know what it is that you struggle with. I struggle with lust. I don't know what you struggle with. But I do know that silence is deadly. It's a quiet killer. It's like rust that erodes the integrity of whatever it's eating. It might be envy that you're struggling with. It might be greed. It might be lust like myself. It might be working too hard not taking a break, not focusing on your family, not focusing on yourself. Might be gossip, might be anger, might be violence. It may be that you're a victim of something and that cycle's perpetuating in your life. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, friends, don't stay silent. Nothing is beyond God's grace. Nothing is past the point of healing. Nothing is past the point of forgiveness. If you need folk to help, you to be accountable with Talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to the person you came with. Don't be afraid to ask for help. There is no shame in that. Friends, the truth is we can't walk the long road of faith towards Jesus alone. There will be so many things that life will throw at us that will happen in our lives that cause us to pause. We need people to share experiences with. We need people to debrief life with. And we need people who have our back. We need those mighty men, those mighty women in our lives. Many of us have suffered from the experience of rejection or abandonment, and we all have been wounded as we grew up. Maybe we did the wounding. We need to confess that. We all wonder whether or not we are worth the unconditional love of God, and we all search for the place where we can actually safely return and be touched by the hands that bless us. One of those ways is through friends who we can be accountable with. Okay, our mighty men, mighty women. Other ways is through worship and fellowship, the way we've worshiped this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Dan. What a wonderful space to come before the maker. You know, as we participate in church life, I'm not just talking about the gathering times like this morning as church in the large, is what I would call it. I'm talking about our gathering times as church in the small. Here at Sunwest, we call those opportunities groups, and Ruthie had mentioned them earlier today. Groups are intended to be a place to find community, and we have four kinds of groups that participate in life together. There are social groups, great places like the mountain biking group for guys, or the knitting happens group that I don't think is happening this semester. There are support groups, places where we can share grief, places where we can share our vulnerability because we've experienced something pretty harsh. There's also study groups. We have a number of study groups who gather around the Bible and the Word and they share life together as they pray and they study. We also have serve groups. We have a group that's called SunWest Servants. And if you're handy or if you've got a couple of hands that you'd like to say, hey, use me for anything. I'd love to help someone, a neighbor or people within our community join a serve group. Talk to me if you're interested in joining something like that. I want to encourage all of us to participate in some kind of group at some point It's where you'll find people with whom you can share life with. Go online. Check out our roster. If you don't see a group that interests you uh, but would love to see there, come and chat with me. Maybe we can work something out. Maybe you can be that catalyst that starts something new. Now, here's a reminder, okay? I'm not perfect. I know you think I am. I know. You don't have to be perfect. Perfect. In fact, what you'll find out is that all of us are somewhat broken in some manner. And yet, for the grace of God, we are rescued and are given new life to share with others. Because we have, each of us, something to share. So friends, get involved. Let's share our lives with others. Don't stay silent. Don't do life alone. Share your secrets with someone. And find hope. Friends, we're going to transition to a time of communion now, together. So if you're at home online, we want to encourage you to grab something to eat and something to drink to participate alongside us this morning. Here at SunWest, we practice an open table, which means if you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to participate. What this means is that the communion table is for all believers, There is no security gate saying, you're not good enough. The communion table is a place for all of us, saints and sinners. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have confessed enough. That is not the point of this table. In fact, it has nothing to do with what you've done. Communion is a time when we come and say to the Lord and to the body of the church, I need Jesus, and some of us might be saying to ourselves, I need a lot more of Jesus today. That's all right. That's okay. The point is, friends, communion is not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. That's what communion's about. It's a place where we can all meet Jesus to remember and the church his body to remember, come back together to regather the saints as the body of Christ and proclaim our reliance on Jesus together. So as the band plays, we're going to partake together the elements which you should have received upon entry of this auditorium. And please raise your hand if you want to participate but you didn't get one. There are ushers who can easily put one in your hands. We do have uh, a couple hands over here, and I think a couple hands in the back. Thank you. Keep your hands up, and some will make sure that you get a cup. We also have gluten-free alternatives if you're needing that as well. Each cup has two seals, okay? You'll find one here, they're complex. One for the unleavened bread and one for the juice. We'll partake together in just a moment. Let's do that together, okay? The Bible tells us that Jesus, our king, took all the wrongs of the world upon himself and made things right. He gave up his crown and laid down his life so that we all might have the opportunity to be reborn and to have life to the full as he had intended. The good news is that we can't earn this new life. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It's completely grace, freely given. Jesus declares through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, to everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. God freely gives, friends, to all who ask. So friends, let us partake together with grateful hearts that can say along with the generations of Christians worldwide, Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for giving your best for our worst. Let's take and eat together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink to life. If you are carrying stuff that is weighing you down, I want to encourage you to share that with somebody. Talk to someone. Someone that you came here with. We have prayer teams at the front that you can share those requests with. You can also go on uh, prayer at prayeratsunwestchurch.com. Be happy to hear what your requests are. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. Don't let that be a barrier between you and God. Don't let that be a barrier between you and the people that you truly love. I want you to consider what it means to be fully authentic and vulnerable with those who know you the most. Friends, confess. Share what is holding you back from all that God has for you. Let's close in prayer. God of wonders, you are the gentle healer, you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the light in the darkness. You bring freedom for the enslaved healing to those who are broken, and you bring life to the dead and to our hardened hearts. Thank you for the gift of confession. Remind us that you're not an angry tyrant, but a loving, caring shepherd. You are the one who insists and invites us to come closer and to go deeper. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We look forward to seeing you here again. Have a great long weekend. And we see you next weekend.